Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. As a former cryptology officer in the Navy, Department of Veterans Affairs Deputy CISO and Executive Director of Information Security Operations Joe Stanaka has an interesting approach to cybersecurity at the agency. Amid the agency's large pivot to carrying out its fourth mission during this pandemic, Stanaka provides a look at how he's thinking about security and ongoing tech initiatives, plus the promise of emerging technologies. Thank you to episode sponsors RSA and Four Points Technology. So, Joe, thanks so much for joining us on GovCast. Great to have you today. My pleasure to be here, Amy. How do you serve VA in your current role as Deputy CISO? What are your focuses? Well, my focus is on the information security operation piece. We have a running CSOC, Cybersecurity Operations Center. I'm also dual-head as a chief privacy officer, so I get to work with not just the privacy folks, but also security folks. And I know you're a Navy veteran, so thank you for your service. Thank you. How has your experience in the Navy contributed to how you view some of your security priorities and issues at VA? That's a great question, Amy. I had the opportunity to serve as a cryptologic officer involved in cybersecurity, intelligence. So really from day one in the Navy, I was focused on securing data, classified data, Navy data. So that was really ingrained in my uh, persona to uh, really make sure we're protecting vital information. So I took that from the Navy and really brought that up to the VA, focusing on security, all types of data. And at the VA, we have healthcare, we have financial, we have very sensitive uh, data on veterans. And so I take a holistic view from my Navy days and protect all that. What is something about cryptology that maybe most people don't really know about? Well, cryptology is, by definition, involves, you know, codes, encryption. One of the really forefront of the modern cybersecurity we have here, and uh, cryptology goes back to the Civil War days, breaking uh, radio communications, gathering information, but there's also protecting that information. So it's a dual hat of getting information from the adversary, but also protecting our own information. Great forefront to cybersecurity, modern day cybersecurity. Definitely. And I'm sure that technology has vastly evolved since the Civil War. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Lots of playing field uh, opportunities there. So as a military veteran, do you feel some sort of ownership or deep empathy in how the VA serves its veterans such as yourself? Very much so. I'm honored to be part of the VA. We support 20 million veterans for, like I mentioned earlier, healthcare, financial, training, and really help those great veterans uh, continue their life as civilians. So it's an honor to kind of pay back, pay forward what I gained from the military. And considering some of the data efforts that VA has, especially in its electronic health records, and then, of course, the security issues that come with all of that, how are you approaching the security side to some of these data efforts? That's a great question, Amy. And we actually go back to an earlier concept I got from the Navy, defense in depth. And it's kind of archaic, people say, but it really does work. We look at from the user all the way to the data source. And we look at people, processes, and technologies as a holistic package to really bring in that protection that you need. Some things may falter, but using a defense in depth concept, we have other technologies and processes and people that can really safeguard that information. And really a motivated workforce, too, to tie all that together. And we're really blessed to have that at the VA. So I know you served in, you know, throughout your career, you served in a number of security positions, for example, CISO of some units under USDA, and then also some roles at DISA. 
Are there any commonalities there that you have observed there and then now that you brought to VA in regard to security and IT? First of all, motivated workforces. So uh, with DOD, USDA, and now VA, uh, the cyber professionals are really top-notch. They really want to protect. They want to be cutting-edge technology. So that commonality followed me through in all those different jobs. But we also have regulatory guidance. We have FISMA. We have NIST standards. So you can kind of pick up from one job to another and really don't lose a lot. Because the, the terminology, the technologies, the concepts stay the same. So those were kind of the people and the processes and the regulations tied all them together where you can go from job to job and job be effective. Now, you also were involved in the Cyber Command, is that right? Yes. So you were involved in the first ever cyber strategy, you know, and a number of other things. What were some of the challenges you had to consider during that development? It sounds like, you know, there might have been some new territory at play there. Very much so, Amy. And also, I also knew my career. I would left the Navy, retire from the Navy, join federal service in that new role at Cyber Command. And Cyber Command itself was growing as a new organization. I was part of a few older organizations, JFCCNW, and also a place called NAS and IOTC that kind of led up to those. But to form a new organization, a new command with a new warfare concept had many challenges. So as you mentioned earlier, I did help with strategy building with General Alexander, some of his talking points that went to Congress and to the president at the time. Then I switched jobs while I was at U.S. Cyber Command and did information assurance. I was the manager there putting together the first ever cybersecurity strategy for that command. So kind of big picture strategy, all the way down to the nuts and bolts of cybersecurity with a new organization. So lots of constant change. And I learned a lot during that tour for sure. Now, when I had CISO Paul Cunningham on a prior show, he had discussed kind of an interesting take that he took with some of the security issues at VA. He, I believe, was in the Navy or did something with aviation. And he mentioned something about how he approaches security with some of like the same aviation approaches that he had during his time in the Navy. Do you have a similar kind of approach as far as your you know, cryptology experience? That's a good question, Amy. As I mentioned earlier, there are two facets to cryptology in the Navy. One's a defense aspect, and then one's an offense perspective where you gain information from an adversary. So I take that same concept, and as I look at a network, I try to best defend it based on my experiences from the defensive side of cryptology. And I also look at how would I attack that new or that new structure from the adversarial approach, bringing a red team kind of mentality to it and making those changes and having a more secure and defended network. Right now, you know, we're undergoing this little thing called the pandemic, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and VA has had a, such a large role in that pandemic, you know, pivoting to its fourth mission. Agencies across the board, we've heard time and time again, the shifts to telework, changing priorities and tech strategies. What are some of the security issues that you're thinking through as far as addressing the pandemic and the pivot to the fourth mission? Much like everybody else out there, we are doing more telework, more telemedicine. And uh, we need to do it safely. So the first and foremost priority for the VA is safety of employees and patients. So taking a look at technologies, and I had the pleasure of being part of those rollouts of new technology, to telemedicine, telehealth, and security was step in step, making sure we're doing it securely. So we don't forget the security aspects, but we really do want to make sure that we have availability to our customers, safety of our staff, and do it securely. Is there anything you're anticipating that will change maybe if this pandemic prolongs or maybe after? Is there any way that security is going to be looked at differently moving forward at the agency? I don't think so. 
I've had other conversations with other security people, both in the government and out, and we do see an increase in telework. I don't think that's going to change. I think we've learned a lot during the pandemic that telework has a place in our society. It has a lot of pros, and uh, it's going to be, as always, security has to change. You know, Before the internet, we had cybersecurity, internet explosion, mobile devices, and we will change with technology. I think that's always been the case, at least what I've seen over the past 30 years. That's right. And, you know, I think it was one of my own colleagues who had mentioned something like, yeah, I just I went to my first doctor appointment via my phone. And I sat there thinking, why didn't we do this before? Like, why did it take now to actually implement, you know, telemedicine? (laughs) And it'll take time. I think uh, that's a good point. I know we have different groups of people like my parents, I have to help a little more technology. But as we introduce these new concepts, it will catch on just doesn't happen overnight like the mobile device. I remember that craze decade or two ago, and now it's so common into our culture. So thinking about the new normals or the shifts in working, I know VA has adopted a lot of things like Teams, and you're just mentioned and alluded to some of the teleworking continuation that you're going to be facing. Are there any security strategies that you're going to be implementing as a result of these or anything to change there? I think, again, we just change with technology. I would say that we've been following the technology growth as we move forward in telehealth and telemedicine. Things haven't changed, though. We still rely on good intelligence, getting data to a SIM, for example, good processes, good technologies. So the focus on technology may have changed, but security is always going to be there. And we're doing a good job at the VA on that. So we've really, there really wasn't much change when we went to telehealth. We had security. We just changed some of our data feeds and the way we went and uh, provide security to our employees and to our veterans. Now, thinking about some of the partnerships that VA has with other agencies, for example, with the electronic health record, you know, the whole DOD side, how are you thinking through the security when there's other stakeholders at play? And that's, uh, I mentioned the processes piece for uh, the defense in depth and, and really partnerships is so key. You can't do cybersecurity by yourself. I saw that when I was at the DOD and USDA. And we have a very good federal network of information, starting with DHS and CISA. And during uh, the pandemic, we saw lots of exchanges of information, a lot of indicators of compromise being exchanged. VA has a very close relationship with HHS, uh, another uh, medical-focused agency, and all in the also intelligence community. So feeding those indicators. So we might find something in our networks, and they will share outside. So that teamwork is critical. I think you die if you don't share and don't partner. So that is so critical. We also have a relationship with medical devices. We have a lot of medical devices in our networks and the vendors there help us to provide patches and security. So it's not just federal, but it's also with industry. Now, looking ahead in the future, is there any emerging tech that you're particularly excited about? Well, I think zero trust is exciting. Since security came around, it's all about identity, right? You know, how do you, you know, who are you and, and do you have authorization for those networks? So I think that's an interesting technology coming and we're looking into that. I think there may be some good things into that. I think more rapid exchange of data, more data feeds. I'm a big fan of SIMs and consolidating information feeds and looking at behavioral-based movements on the network and looking for Zinsire threats. So all these, I don't want to rely on one technology, but I'm always looking for and continue improvement, zero days, of course, zero day threats, all those things changing and modifying and improving. But it's interesting, Amy, I think that oftentimes cybersecurity folks get so excited about technology, we really need to remember that to the people and processes. So as I look at technologies, I'm excited, but 
we really need to look at, at the three factors for success for cybersecurity. Thinking about when you first got involved in security and when you were early in your career, is there any advice that you have for people, young people now who are potentially our next generation of cybersecurity professionals? You know, what are some of the things that they're having to think about when they're coming into government or this field? So training is probably the easiest answer for this. Get trained, get ready, learn more about the field. There's going to be a two to three million shortage in cybersecurity workforce next two to three years. So it's a great opportunity to go out there. I advise a lot of folks to get into the field itself. So Joe, thanks so much. This was an awesome look into security at VA. Thanks so much for talking about your path to the agency. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next at VA. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed this uh, session. Thanks again to our episode sponsors, RSA and Four Points Technology. Joe and Amy made a lot of great points, and I'd like to key in on what was said about the VA's fourth mission, which is to improve the nation's preparedness and resiliency in response to disruptions by developing plans and taking actions to ensure continued service to veterans, among other things. So driving preparedness and building resiliency of anything, but especially as complex as government services, can be a Herculean task. And it's more than having recovery or continuity of operations plans. It's a combination of things that requires an understanding of what you're building resiliency of, whether that's an agency, an organization, or a service or many services, such as what the VA provides to our good veterans. Building resiliency requires close coordination across agencies, departments, third parties, and even state and municipal resources. It requires a close examination of scenarios and threats that could disrupt the mission, what the impacts could be, and then taking action to minimize those impacts. It takes measuring and monitoring status so the organization knows if and when it's resilient. It takes consistent testing to keep sharp and identify gaps and address them. So Archer helps organizations of any type, size, or complexity build resiliency by being the mechanism to enable effective governance over this type of effort. Archer provides a way and means to define the organization and its interdependencies so you know what you're building resiliency of. Archer helps align teams on common objectives and priorities. It facilitates communications, provides best practices to evaluate scenarios and develop and test plans to mitigate the risks that could get in the way. Archer provides valuable intelligence at all levels of the organization so decisions can be made, threats can be dealt with early, and appropriate action taken. You know, building resiliency is not a one-and-done activity. It's a holistic discipline that combines recovery, risk management, compliance, and others to drive resiliency throughout the organization, and that takes time, attention, and focus. But Archer provides the lens for that focus and the defined approaches to make it happen. And like Joe said, it's the people, the processes, and technology that achieves not only defense in depth, but organizational resiliency. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. 